Welcome to the Taylor and Jen podcast. Mornings with Taylor and Jen. My cousin used to call horses hooey hooey. That makes sense because that's kind of the sound they make. What horses are you hanging around with? <laughs> Can you tell I'm from the suburbs? What does the horse say? Hooey hooey. Hooey hooey. Sometimes it's unavoidable. Mm-hmm. You have to face your irrational fear. And we want to know what happened when you did. <laughs> this happened last week and I'm still made fun about it. Oh, oh right no, now. it's still um, fresh. It is. I, I am terrified of bees. And I was driving down the freeway with my windows down. Morning air is beautiful to me. And a bee flies in and it sits down on my the chair next to me. Ugh. And I was like, uh, oh no. Oh, so no. what do I do? You know, of course, swerving all over the road. And I was like, okay, do that. So I take my shake cup, which I had already drank, and I put it on top of it. Okay. And so it's captured now, but mm-hmm. I'm driving down the freeway. I drove all the way to work and I went and parked out back where everyone's like coming into work and waited for somebody who didn't look like they were scared of bees. And I said, how are you scared of bees? And they said, no. Why? And I said, well, under this is a is a bee and I need it out of my car so I can get out of my car. Who was this person? <laughs> was this literally a random stranger that you asked, are you afraid of bees? No, it was a co-worker. Oh, oh thank okay. goodness. Scoping okay. out my own co-worker. <laughs> and I found one who was brave enough to get the bee and now whenever he sees me, he laughs at me. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Amber, you want to tell us about the time you had to face your greatest fear? I can relate with Taylor because I'm extremely afraid of spiders. And they follow me everywhere, like big or small, doesn't matter, they follow me. They follow you. (laughs) (laughs) So the other day I had this really weird looking thing, like come out from behind my mirror in my car and it made a web from the mirror down to the bottom of my driver's door so literally I couldn't even get in my car. I was late to work because I had to figure out how to take the spider off my door and I had to use a stick and I had to try to get the web off and I had to get a really long stick because I'm not sticking my hand next to that thing. Literally like I can't even so I get the fear of spiders. Like, it is just, they just, yeah. You know what? Everything you just so, told me is perfectly reasonable. That's that's how you respond. <laughs> I will write your boss a note and say that is an excused tardy. Yes, absolutely. I can't <laughs> Thank even. Thank you, guys. Talking about your deepest, darkest fears. Always uplifting. <laughs> This is fun. We want to know what happened when you had to confront your deep, irrational fear. My irrational fear is squirrels that run around parks. Because 30 years ago, when I was at Iowa State, I came, like, you know, usually people say the squirrels are more scared of you than you are them. Yeah. I was, like, face-to-face with a squirrel, and, like, I was kind of waiting for it to go. Because, you know, or you just keep walking, and it, like, lunged at me and chased me. So you were running away from a squirrel on the campus of Iowa State. I just thought, you just keep walking. I mean, like, you just ignore it because it's a sweet little squirrel that's scampering around looking for brunch. Yeah. No, it wasn't. It makes for great stories that time that you had to face your irrational fear. I have a couple of rational fears I'll never have to face, like being eaten by a T-Rex or floating out into space. Okay, yeah, not a huge risk of those. (laughs) But my real one is chickens and birds. And I'm a teacher, and I was teaching in an open space classroom, and the first grade teacher next to us had hatched, you know, the cute, fuzzy little chicks. Uh-huh. They got out of their box. Oh, no. And 
It was terrifying for me. And in fact, I made my second graders chase them down. And we were standing in a circle around this box. And they were chanting, you can do it, Miss T. You can do it. And I couldn't do it. I made them. Oh, my goodness. You're afraid of peeps? Yep. Yep, very much so. I've struggled sometimes with my view of God. Sometimes it's hard for me to believe that he cares for us on a very individual level. I know that he loves people, Mm -hmm. but the fact that God loves me, you know, sometimes that's hard to understand. The fact that God would care about my anxieties as we go into a new school year and your anxieties and that he is so personal of a God that he wears those on his heart and he feels your tears and understands your tears. This school year is crazy for me. Because I don't have anybody going into it. (laughs) For the first time in decades, I don't have a child going to high school or college or elementary school. But it's so strange for me that I can actually unsubscribe from the high school emails, which I have not done yet. And I've been giving you a hard time for still reading the high school emails that come through to you. But I kind of get it. I kind of get it. Okay, good. Because I don't. I don't understand. Why aren't I just excited? I think there is a part of you as a, a, a parent that it's hard to let go of the years when your kids need you Mm -hmm. up until that, you know, somewhat important day of graduation from high school, they need you and you are one kind of parent. And then after that, you are a different kind of parent. Now, please understand you are still a parent. Mm -hmm. I will always be their mom, but I've heard it many times when you mom or dad your kids, you are momming and dadding them towards a goal. And that goal is to let them go. And that's what the beginning of this new school year represents for me, I guess, mm-hmm. is that I have mommed them to the point where I can now let them go. I see you moms that are having a hard time with it because I am too. And the kind of God that we have sees that and loves us. And he will help us through it. Moving into the back to school time of the year. And it can be a time of anxiety for parents, for people who work for schools, for students. But those aren't the only ones. Mm -mm. Um, If you could be praying for people who are walking the same journey that my wife and I are of wanting to be pregnant, wanting to start a family, and it's just not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been going on for several years for us now. So we have had several back to school seasons where we weren't sending kids off. We didn't even have a kid to look forward to sending off to school. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something that happens with milestones like that, that you get reminded that the prayer hasn't been answered. Yeah. And the thing about waiting on an answer for a prayer is it can be really hard to be present in the moment because you keep on waiting for that yes or just that that closure or that something. You're looking to the future? Yeah. Um, and someone was praying with Lindsay the other day and, and she prayed that Lindsay would be able to find joy in the waiting. 
Um, oh, and I think if if wow. you could be praying for people like me and Lindsay who are going through this, I think prayer that we can find joy in the waiting and even meaning in the waiting rather than continuing to project forward and say, once we get to this answer, things will, will matter again. We can find joy again. Mm-hmm. That would be a prayer that we would really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Leave it to Mornings with Taylor and Jen to make you think about something that you probably never thought about before. Mm-hmm. But... When you walk into a room, whether it be a classroom at college or high mm-hmm. school or church, something like that, and, and it's mostly empty. You've got the full run of the place. You probably have a go-to. Do mm-hmm. you sit in the front? Do you sit in the back? Do you sit in the sides? Do you sit in the dead center? Where do you sit? Now, we're not going to tell you what it says about you because we don't know. We're just kind of curious. We just want to know where you sit and why. I sit... In the front. Really? Because I want to be able to see and hear well and not have lots of distractions. Oh. Oh, you take it seriously. Yeah, you do. Now, being in the music team at church, it's always funny to watch everyone come in and avoid the front row. (laughs) Those first two rows, you might sit next to the pastor's wife. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) To watch people come in late and see as they aim for their normal spot Mm -hmm. that somebody's there and they suddenly veer and they're searching, trying to figure out now where to go because (laughs) their normal spot is taken. Yeah, I just go for the front because I know that Lots of people aren't going to go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Asking you to do a little bit of self-reflection mm-hmm. this morning. Imagine you're walking into church and it's at least mostly empty and you get to choose where you want to sit. This is very intriguing because we also want to know why you chose that spot. I sit back right. All the way in the back? No, because there's a row against the wall. Uh-huh. Where the row right in front of the row against the wall. Makes sense. And I think I figured it out. I used to play right defensive end, <laughs> and you got to keep your outside arm free. Yeah. So I think that's why I sit outside. It, and we get there a half hour before church starts so nobody can take our place. Yeah. And I'm on the outside, so the yeah. back right. Outside arm free. Got to keep the outside arm free. And yeah. I don't like people behind me, but those people behind me are always good people, so I don't worry about that. That makes a lot of sense. Wow. You know yeah. what? You oh, know what's yeah. funny? Oh, yeah. I was a right defensive end, and I always sit on the right side of the church. See? Yeah, you got to keep that outside hand free. You got to make sure everything stays inside of you. Yeah. You, you guys, never know when you're going to need to do a swim move. You guys choose where you sit in church because of football. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now I'm going to be really conscious of this because (laughs) I played football as well, and I was a running back. And so I sit behind a quarterback. I don't know who he is. (laughs) (laughs) Just going to tap someone on the shoulder. Hey, you're the quarterback today. Tell me what play it is. I will guarantee you there's a quarterback sitting ahead of me. (laughs) You guys are going to have me thinking about this all day long. This has been fun. (laughs) There's a lot of thought that goes into where you sit. And a lot of this is coming to church. Like we all kind of have our Mm -hmm. assigned spots at church. We know we're not supposed to, but we're just a people of habit. And (laughs) Jackie's story is, I think it's a sign of maybe we get just a little bit too comfortable where we sit at church. We visited this church and we sat down about midway, uh, the auditorium and it was funny because there were some senior citizens that come up, one with a walker, and she looks at us and literally huffs at us. Whoa! <laughs> and goes down a couple more aisles, and we get to sit there and watch this domino effect of all these people coming in and looking at people sitting in their seats. <laughs> 
transport to a different area. That was the most comical thing we've oh ever seen. Oh my goodness! That is so funny. She huffed at you. Wow. Because she knew what was coming. She knew the dominoes were about to fall. Coming to doubt something that you have believed for such a long time can be scary. I remember going through a extremely difficult period of doubt over my faith when I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Boy, I tell you what, nothing shakes your faith like going through something like that. Now, here's something really interesting. I, I've been reading or I actually just finished reading a book called After Doubt. It's by A.J. Swoboda. And I think one of the most surprising things he brings forward as a spiritual practice that can help turn that time of doubt into a time of spiritual growth is actually studying yourself. Like, what about yourself? So he shares a verse in the Psalms where David says, search my heart and know me. Reveal any impure way within me. Oh, wow. He's not just telling God, like, hey, look at all the bad things in me and don't tell me. Like, he wants those to be revealed to him. Oh, my goodness. I never even thought of that verse that way. In fact, there are several of the church fathers that say in order to truly know God, we need to know ourselves. And where this plays into doubt is actually a story about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Oh, wow. He He was amazing. led the confessing church during World War II. And at one point, he was talking to one of his friends. And he says he realized he was leading the church for all the wrong reasons. His pursuit of the knowledge of God became a love for other things. To gain power, prestige, and advantage. Mm. It stopped being a loving pursuit of God and turned into a subtle self-preoccupation. And here's the thing that happens when you make your faith about something that it won't give you. You're going to get disappointed. Mm. If your faith is about gaining power over people, gaining influence over people. Gaining security. Security, easy life. None of those are things that Jesus promises us. So all of a sudden, if you start doubting your faith, maybe one of the reasons is because you have been expecting it to deliver something that God never promised. And so as you look at yourself and as you study yourself, one of the questions you can ask is, well, why am I doing this in the first place? What are the expectations that I've been having? Doubt can be a scary thing, like especially when you're doubting your faith. And one of the things that makes it scary is because, in essence, you're starting to confront this idea that I might be wrong about something. (laughs) And we're in a culture where probably the worst thing you can be is wrong. Like, try getting grammar wrong on the internet. (laughs) Try getting a small fact about an actor's life wrong on the internet. Or just having a wrong opinion about it. A wrong opinion. You are going to hear just how wrong you are. And so when you come and address your faith and you realize, ooh, I got something wrong when I was growing up, or my pastor taught me something that wasn't quite right, or maybe you're talking to someone who's dealing with doubt and they're addressing things in your life that are wrong and it gets really uncomfortable. AJ Swoboda has a book called After Doubt, and a lot of it is just talking about different practices you can introduce into your life to turn doubt into something that actually moves you closer to God instead of further away from him. Okay. He says one of the practices you can introduce is the practice of being wrong. Well, I feel like I don't need practice. I do that really well. <laughs> so, so here's a crazy thing. The early church fathers, when they would finish up their studies going through all of their theological training, they would actually issue retractions, talking about things that at the beginning of their studies they believed. And now that they're at the end of the studies, they realized, ooh, that wasn't actually correct scripturally. So they would admit to the rest of their congregation that they yeah. had been wrong? So there was one, I think it was uh, St. Augustine, who, who got to the end and he was like, here's a bunch of stuff that I don't believe anymore, but you know what I can't recant is miracles. 
I can't I can't get away from miracles and the resurrection. But here's a bunch of things I don't believe anymore. Wow, he like he admitted in writing that he was wrong. Yeah. Wow. And here's the really cool thing. Uh, AJ Swoboda says, I wonder if the gift of the Christian to the world is their willingness to boldly witness to their deepest, silliest and clumsiest mistakes. (laughs) The world doesn't know how to be wrong. Mm. Maybe we can show them how. We're allowed to be the only people in the world who are eternally loved at the core of our being and who simultaneously do not have adequate responses to all the questions. Yeah, sometimes I don't know is the right answer. What if being wrong was actually an important part of following Jesus? What if it was actually the sign that we were being humbled and a sign of the Spirit's work within? Oh, to have the mind of a child. Wait a minute. You do have the mind of a child. Apparently not childish enough <laughs> oh. because I still I still watch some kids and they just see things without baggage attached to them. Everything's a new adventure. Everything's bright. Everything's brand new and sunny. And sometimes they just attach their own meanings to things. Oh, I see where this is going. Okay. The, the, what the, happened? I, I never get tired of hearing how children mispronounce things. I know it's I love it. So when I saw the tweet come up in my feed, it's I, I'm not on Twitter, but I see people who take screenshots of tweets and then put them on Facebook because that's how I experience culture. <laughs> I'm scrolling through and the tweet says, you know, it's really cute when little kids mispronounce things. Mm-hmm. But at some point, I'm going to have to tell my daughter that we don't put Farmer John cheese on our spaghetti. Oh. Farmer John. Farmer John. John It's fresh from the cheese farm. Farmer John cheese. Picked off of the cheese tree. You know, but here's the thing. He might tell her the correct pronunciation at some point, but they will now and forever call it Farmer John cheese. In fact, I think I'm going to call it Farmer John cheese. That might just (laughs) enter my regular vocabulary. Hey, it is um, Maddie and Lila. Hi, Maddie and Lila. Hi, we were calling to tell you guys the funny word that Lila says. She's three and a half. Oh, oh good. well, what word does Lila say? Um, she calls roly polies lily pillies. <laughs> lily pillies. <laughs> no, I want to call them that. Yeah, it's super cute. <laughs> is roly poly even the technical name for those little bugs? I honestly don't know. Neither that, do I. That's what they call them in the bug science labs. Do they really, Doctor Erskine? Would you hand me the roly poly? Do they really call them that, Taylor? Yeah. Yes. Really? No. <laughs> no. I think they're like pill bugs or something. So Lily's close. Yeah, that's closer. I think Lily pillies is better. I yeah. love it. I love that's it. That's awesome. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, say thank you, Lila. Thank you. It's cheap entertainment. <laughs> well, I mean, sort of. Our kids, when they're little, they come up with the funniest mispronounce words and sometimes they live on in family infamy and i think jennifer's kids took this to the next level my first daughter would not pronounce a word until it was completely correct oh and along comes my second daughter who literally made up her own language (laughs) yeah she was like get on my program um (laughs) she didn't know what she was saying so we would say show me and so she showed us a hot dog was a load of low. It was a couple weeks went by before she could tell us what a woot wheat was. And it was a horse. A oh. woot wheat? <laughs> woot wheat. It just went on and on. Out of curiosity, any of those words still 
continue on in the language of your family? Of course. <laughs> of course. She's 24 now. So she doesn't like to be reminded, but it's just hilarious. Oh my, my cousin used to call horses hooey hooies. Hooey hooey. <laughs> I mean, that, that makes sense because that's kind of the sound they make. What horses are you hanging around with? <laughs> Can you tell I'm from the suburbs? What does the horse say? Hooey hooey. Hooey hooey. <laughs> <laughs> right? They're, they're just out there hooey hooey and all around. Your mom will forget your name and she will call you every other name of every <laughs> other sibling and the pets. But you know what she won't forget? That thing that you mispronounced. You know, it's usually more fun to humiliate someone else, but I'm going to do it to myself today. Okay. So this is even more funny because I live in the country amongst farmers and cornfields. I have to stop and concentrate on saying the word tractor, (laughs) Tractor. like they drive a tractor in the field. Yeah. Because my whole life, it has just always come out as tratter. Tratter? Tratter. No C. Tratter. No C. The the farmer's out in the field on his tratter. (laughs) Did anyone else call it this, or was that just your own variation? Oh, no, that's just my own variation. That's my own take on it. And it's even more comical when you know that I home-educated my children. So I had to focus on how to spell and say the word for them so that at least they would get it correct. The Taylor and Jen Podcast is a product of Northwestern Media, a ministry of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can hear more from Taylor and Jen weekday mornings online at life1071.com or on the life 107.1 app.